All right, well, we'll go ahead and get started tonight. Um, it's good to be back. Um, <clears throat> uh, as you can tell, so a little bit of a, some residual congestion, but, you know, out of the woods as far as um, anything else, any other issues or anything like that. But I uh, appreciate uh, Mike and Mike uh, and taking uh, taking the, the helm for a little bit and uh, also, um, you know, Leslie and uh, the others that helped with the potluck. Sorry, I missed out on it, um, but uh, we'll we'll figure that out. Uh, did decide to reschedule the Lord's Supper um, just because um, there's a lot a lot I want to talk about when it comes to that. Um, we don't do things the way that uh, other people do them. Uh, we like to be different. Uh, different is good sometimes. Um, so we want to make sure that we kind of walk through and explain it, uh, that we're not doing anything that's uh, sacrilegious or anything that's against scripture, but just kind of walk through. Cause again, you know, we've got a lot of liberty in Christ about, uh, how we go about doing certain things. And, uh, um, it's, uh, just kind of good to, to walk through and, uh, talk about how we go about doing that. Um, and, uh, what the Lord's uh, expectation of that is, uh, for us. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn in our Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> and uh, in Philippians chapter 3, we've, uh, <clears throat> we, we kind of were taking a, a larger chunk, talking about it kind of in an overview, and then slowly going through some of it. So again, because it's been a little bit, because uh, last week was when I uh, came down with some symptoms that uh, kind of prevented me from being here, but let's go ahead and take a look at uh, verse 1. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To uh, write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man or any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable uh, unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, in those verses. Again, I don't think we're going to get as far as uh, verse 11 here tonight, but we'll get uh, through quite a bit and uh, hopefully get some understanding about what Paul's talking about. But uh, before we do that, let's go ahead and pray and uh, we'll get uh, kind of going in earnest with our lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I thank you again for what you've given to us in your word. And Lord, I thank you again for an opportunity to be here. And Lord, I thank you for those that are here ready to listen. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, give us those ears, Lord, and that heart of understanding that we would have a desire, Lord, to please you, to honor you, to bring glory and praise to your name, and uh, not to things of ourself, but of things, Lord, that uh, please you and honor you, and things, Lord, that uh, truly point to who you are, and uh, not of glory of ourselves, but uh, of that mindset, Lord, that you have instructed us to have. I pray, Lord, you just be with me and my voice this uh, evening. That, Lord, again, it would just be a time that pleases you and honors you. And all of this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so here we are taking a look at this, uh, this last, um, or this uh, first part of this, this chapter. And we saw very clearly here part of the issue that he's been talking about in the verse, verse two, where he was talking about the concision. We talked quite a bit about that and who that was referring to. How that was a, kind of, if you will, a little bit of a dig towards the nation of Israel and their mindset that they had. And if you remember the mindset, that mindset is the same mindset that was following Christ with the Pharisees is the same one that Paul is wrestling against. And it, it, it's a big wrestle. I mean, it is something that when we take a look at what's going on in Scripture, we find very clearly that the, those things where Jesus Christ is saying, woe unto, uh, ye, uh, you know, unto the scribes and the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites, and he calls them vipers. Um, all of these things, the intent was to reveal what their heart was. Uh, and, and if you take a look at it, uh, they truly were hypocrites. I mean, here they are talking about God, but yet they're promoting humanism. Uh, they're promoting uh, the elevation of self. They're promoting the elevation of their own glory and their own position and who they are rather than what God has given them or who, who God is in relationship to them. And we find that obviously Paul was part of that group. Paul was originally part of that group, but obviously he has changed along the way and there are some very distinct changes that have occurred in his life. And the main thing that we see here as we look at verse 3 is he's talking about this flesh, and this is an issue between the flesh and the spirit. And this is always going to be the issue. Uh, in this Christian life, until we are taken out of here, it is always going to be an issue between our flesh and the spirit. They are at odds with one another. They're, they're the contrary one to another. Uh, you go over and you, you, you read in the book of Galatians chapter 5, all of the works of the Spirit. They're very clearly iniquitous and sinful. And then you read about the fruit of the Spirit, and you see that those are all things that come from the Lord, that come from only God. They can't be self-generated, if you will, from things of the flesh. So what we find here is he continues to talk about this. We talked a bit about this, uh, this mindset that where he specifically was talking to, uh, Nicodemus about God must be worshiped in the spirit. At the same time, he's talking about it with the Samaritan woman that God is the spirit and he must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And, and, and we understand these things that we went through. But what we see here is we're going to take a look at a couple of these things about this flesh and spirit and, and how how these kind of, if you will, deal with one another, how, they, how they're contrary one to another. Uh, turn over to the book of Psalms, <clears throat> Psalms chapter 118. 
Psalms chapter 118. And, and I want to pick up where we kind of left off there, which is that last part where, because we talked about rejoicing in Christ and you can't rejoice in the flesh. The only way that you can really truly rejoice, because again, to rejoice means to have joy and real true joy only comes from the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is we, we as we talked about that, we see that there's this part where he identifies what makes us the circumcision. Now, when again, he talks about circumcision, he's not saying we're replacing Israel. Nobody is replacing Israel. That's the, this is, this is, he's talking about a, a, a war, you know, an operation made without hands. He's talking about something that's inside of us, something that has occurred. Uh, he's using this term to talk about being separated from all of these things. But he, again, he's using this to identify clearly that the believer, it can identify with Christ. But what we find here is as part of that identification process, as part of who we are, we have no confidence in the flesh. See, this is what makes the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Or it should, I should say. We, we should not have confidence in our flesh. Now, now I'm not saying to this the point where, you know, we're going through the process of, uh, you know, just kind of beating up on ourselves. I'm saying we need to understand what our flesh is capable of doing, and we need to understand what Jesus Christ is doing in us. That as we go through the rest of this 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 book, we're going to find obviously that verse that says, "I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." That needs to be the the the, the principal understanding that we have here. That it is not about the boasting of our flesh; it's not putting our putting confidence in our flesh. If there's one thing I know is that our that that our flesh will fail. A perfect example. Last Wednesday, I was not here. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was uh, you know I would, uh, had had gotten ready. I mean I was I was all set and ready to go, and it's just like nope, this is just not happening. Uh, you know, my body, uh, it, uh, it ran into a, that lovely brick wall of, uh, of, uh, of an illness and said, nope, you're not doing it. You can't do it. And, you know, and we foolishly try to push ourselves saying, oh yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. And then our body always rebels and pushes back. Right. And says, no, you can't. And number one, you're not 25 anymore. Number two, you know, <laughs> you, you, this is, this is a, a little bit more than you, you can handle. You need to take some rest. You need to take some time. You need to, to do those things. But we don't put confidence in the flesh the, the, the way the world does. And when we talk about this confidence in the flesh in verse three, I want us to understand what Paul's really talking about here. He's talking about this issue of humanism. Now, now you'll hear me talk a lot about humanism because of how dangerous it is. It is the foundational danger. It is the foundational poison of every false religion. Every last one. And yet that's what makes it different when it comes to Christianity. Because it's not about us. It's about Christ. If it's about us, then all we're doing is going back to the garden. All we're doing is going back to Babel. All we're doing is going back to uh, the book of Judges that they did that which was right in their own eyes. That's all we're doing. 
And, 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 and that's all pharisaicalism had become at that point in time. So this is why Paul's pointing this out. Because not only is he pointing it out for, for, for the major reason of saying that the Judaizers are going to try to come in and he's telling them to beware. They'd already tried it with other different churches that we have seen and they had been making his life miserable throughout the book of Acts. So it's very clear that they were the ones that were the instigators. And what we find is, is that he's warning and he's saying, look, we, we as Christians, we as believers, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't put our confidence there. Psalm chapter 118, <clears throat> these are familiar passages uh, to us. And if you take a look at verse 8 in this, uh, um, Psalm chapter 118, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I mean, it makes it very, very clear there. Mankind is not where we put our confidence. We don't put our confidence in the princes, if you will, uh, those, those powers that be. We don't put our confidence in government. Humanism puts a lot of confidence in government. And that's why you take a look at, uh, you know, some of the founding fathers. They were not putting their confidence in men. They were putting their confidence in God. Because a lot of the writings of them were clearly pointing out and stating, hey, look, you know, we can't do this if we try to move away from God. If we try to move away from the Bible, we can't, we can't have a country that's going to operate or should be expected to operate the way it's supposed to. And take a look at the state of the country today. We've removed God from just about every place. We've sequestered him to, well, as long as it's fine in your own home, but you dare not mention it anywhere else. And, 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 and that's, that's not the problem. And, and, and therein lies some of the biggest issues is people are content to just say, well, I'll just, I'll have my personal belief. I'll have my personal faith. Well, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Faith is very, very, very specific and it involves the word of God and obedience. Without that, we're, we're, we're in big trouble. But here, even back in the book of Psalms, you know, the psalmist is pointing out saying, we're not going to put our confidence. And, and, and look, we always want the better thing, right? I mean, it, let's say you go shopping for a car. <clears throat> you go shopping for a car. There's two cars that are essentially identical. They look the same. And you look at one and you go, oh, okay, that's nice. And you test drive it and everything seems seems okay. And then you test drive the other one and everything seems okay. And it's kind of hard to choose which one. They have the approximately the same mileage and everything else. And uh, basically maybe they're the same color and the same, you know, models, you know, uh, trim models and everything else. You're looking at it and, and, and you go through, through the whole thing. And maybe one has just one slight edge over the other. Maybe you look at it and you go, ah, well, this one's got a small ding on the back bumper. And you sit there and go, well, uh, I'm going to choose the one without the the ding. Unless the guy's going to come along and say, well, okay, I'll discount that one $5,000 more for the small ding. Then all of a sudden that one becomes the better one, right? (laughs) Because you're spending less and you can live with the small ding. 
But as you go through, and if, it, if the price is exactly the same and you're trying to compare, you're going to be looking for, okay, which one's the better one? Which one's the better one? You go to the grocery store and do this, right? You go there and you're picking up your, your, your fruit and you're looking at it. And you, let's say you're taking a look at two separate oranges and you're looking at those oranges and you're going, okay. Well, <laughs> and let's say you only want to buy one orange for some strange reason. It's one of those weird math problems. And you're looking at that orange and you're like, um, and you're trying to find which one's the better orange. Which one's going to be sweeter? Which one's going to have the right flavor? Which one's going to do this? I mean, all of these things, you're, you're trying to figure that out. You're trying to find the better one for you. Now, God makes it clear here. He's saying that he is better in every situation. And that's the, what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Him being better. He's better than everything that was under the law of Moses. He's far better than that. He's far better than a priest. He's far better than sacrifices. He's far better than the law. He's far better than all of that. Because he's Jesus Christ. So when he says it's better to put confidence in the Lord, we should take note of that. Because again, this is where Paul's going back to this, saying, look, you know, we as Christians, we should make sure that confidence in our flesh is the last thing that we want to do. It's the last thing we want to do. But I'll tell you this, isn't it the problem that we sometimes put a little too much confidence in our flesh than we should? <laughs> and that's where it gets into trouble. That's where it gets us into trouble. Go over to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, I want you to take a look here at what it says uh, in, uh, <clears throat> uh, in uh, let's just take a look at verse 25. It says, be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Now, this is a very important thing. You know, we can see something happening in this world, and he says, look, we're not supposed to be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid when people get afraid. It's a contagious thing, by the way. Uh, sometimes fear is a lot more contagious than COVID itself. But you understand what I'm saying is that fear can, can get people to behave in the most illogical, unsound manner. And he says here very clearly uh, in verse 26, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. I love using this passage of scripture when we start talking about fear and counseling. Why is that? Because the problem with fear is that you're putting confidence in your flesh. That's the issue. When you trust fear and when fear dominates your life, when you're overridden by anxiety and you let the anxiety control you and you let the fear control you, the end result is, is you are saying you trust your flesh and your confidence in your flesh more than you trust God. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Because if God's sitting here saying, be not afraid, I mean, that's a command, right? He says, be not afraid. He says he has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, <coughs> excuse me, love and sound mind, right? 
So we know that. And power, love, and sound mind. There's power in Jesus Christ. We know the love of God is something that we can never be separated from. And we know it's of a sound mind because it comes from the Lord. Things that are not of a sound mind are things that are in a confusion state. When people are confused, they are afraid. They're scared. They panic. They run. And here he is saying, look, don't, don't, don't trust all of that fleshly stuff. We don't make the best decisions when we're afraid. We really don't. This is why he's saying don't put your confidence in it. And he says, look, the Lord, the Lord will be your confidence. All you have to do is rely on him. He's the one that will keep you. He's the one that, that, that you need to trust. And I'll tell you, trust starts, uh, when trust starts to be erode, eroded in our life, fear becomes the prime, primary motivator, not the trust of the Lord. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Fear is there for a reason. Fear is to push you nearer to the Lord, to trust Him. All of a sudden, when you're afraid, what do you do? You trust the Lord. You, know, you, you sit there and you go, oh Lord, I don't know what to do. And you just say, okay, I'm going to trust you in this. That's how it works. That's how trust begins to build with that relationship with God. But what we often do is we trust in ourselves and we're like, okay, I, I think I can handle this. I think I can make this work. I think I can do this. I, I you know, the, the whole, I think, I think, I can, I think I can, I think, I think, I, you think you what? <laughs> the fact is, is that we don't. We don't follow through. We don't do things the right way. We don't do it the way that the Lord wants us to. Go over to uh, the book of Romans. Or excuse me, not Romans, uh, uh, Proverbs again, uh, chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. <clears throat> Taking a look at this confidence again. <clears throat> and... Uh, in verse 26, it says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to be depart from the snares of death. I mean, right there, two things that he talks about the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is obviously not this, uh, this, this type of fear that we, we, you know, we're, we're running and hiding from him. That's not how this works. It's a, it, it, when we begin to realize that he is that fountain of life, when we begin to le- realize that he is that strong confidence, and we realize that that is where our refuge is, that's where we're going to go to. See, humanism will teach you to flee to somewhere else. Humanism will teach you, you need to, do, you need to flee to, to the mentality that uh, that education is going to help you. Like getting an education is a good thing. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this. If you think that's the end all of life, it's not. God is. God is. You, you, you go through and you, you, you see all of these things that they tell you to trust in. They, they will tell you, well, just trust your heart. 
Well, what does Jeremiah say about the heart? <laughs> Desperately wicked, deceitful. <laughs> Who could know it? I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I wouldn't trust that. That'd be that'd be like going out there and and going up to uh, uh, you know a, a, a bank robber and saying, "Would you hold this a hundred thousand dollars in you know for me? Just keep it safe for me." No, uh, robber's not going to do that. They'd be like, "Score." <laughs> you're never going to see that money ever again. But again, that's the mentality that they teach people. They teach they teach us to put confidence in that, strong confidence, seeing that, seeing that or thinking that we can go back to 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 that as a place of refuge. It's a place of refuge. Confidence in ourself is no refuge. You're looking at a at a cardboard fort and a plastic sword. That's all you've got. That's all you've got. But when you go and you you face it with the Word of God and trusting Him with the armor that He has provided us and him to go before us him teaching our fingers how to fight and our hands to war teaching us how to 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 to, to be engaged in a spiritual battle every single day how to put the flesh into submission all of these things then we begin to understand there is strong confidence in who he is in who he is go over to the book of uh, 1 John <clears throat> Uh, book of first john and uh, chapter 3 <clears throat> first john chapter 3 <clears throat> <clears throat> um and we get down here a little bit uh into verse 21 of first john chapter 3 it says beloved If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. This is an important thing. You know how confidence is eroded? Confidence is eroded when you don't know what Jesus Christ has done for you. He talks about the knowledge of the Lord here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 8. That, that, that's what he's trying to attain to. That's what he wants in his life. But, 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 but the problem is, is that when, when we lose confidence, a lot of the issues are we go about condemning ourselves. Now you go over there to, 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 to the book, uh, turn to John chapter three. You can keep your place there in first John, but you can turn over to John chapter three and I want you to see this parallel. <clears throat> There's a lot of weird connections between the book of John and 1 John, by the way, um, because of how they kind of sync together with certain things. When this is an interesting one, in John chapter 3, we have the verse that is the well, most well-known verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? <clears throat> and, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now look at this, it says in verse 17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. 
the book of Romans talks about that condemnation that, 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 that's no longer there against us. And why is that? Because it was paid for on the cross. If we have received him and we have believed, then we're not condemned. We're not condemned in our sins. Jesus Christ paid for them. They're done. They're gone. Praise the Lord for it. We don't continue in sin, but you notice what he says here in the, the next part of the verse in verse 18 is, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the, son, uh, of the only begotten son of God. And what is this case in verse 19? And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's what happens. You, 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 and there's the issue is people are like, well, you can't come in here and judge me and tell me about my sin. Well, nobody's judging you about your sin. You've judged yourself. You've already put yourself in front of the court. You've already put yourself in front of the court. You've pled guilty and you are guilty and you've condemned yourself because you've refused to believe. This is what he talks about. He says, you're condemned already. But if you believe, you're not condemned. This is, this is how, you know, and then you go back to verse 21 over there in 1st John chapter 3, and it says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. You know what the devil will try to get you to do? The devil will try to get you to think about every wrong thing you've ever done in your entire life. And how are you going to make amends for it? That's not even physically possible. There is stuff that I've done that there is no way I could ever make that up. I just, it's just not even physically possible. How, how? How how could I do that? I can't. I can't. And that's when I turn to the Lord and I say, praise God for his forgiveness. Because the devil is the one that will sit there and beat you up over constantly. And he'll say you're condemned. But here John says, no. And I'll tell you, if you spend more time, here's the issue. You know why the devil wants you doing that? He wants you thinking more about the sin you committed than the forgiveness that Christ gave you. He wants you thinking more about what you did than what Christ has done for you and what he will do for you and what he is doing for you. Because if we spend all our time over here, we never get to enjoy the fellowship and rejoice with our Savior. So this is where we have to make things, you know, the the, the rubber meet the road. And this is why he's saying, look, we don't put any confidence in our flesh. We don't put any trust. We, 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 we don't do that, especially, and that's what confidence is. It's a, it is a reliance specifically on, on our own abilities or on the abilities of someone, the resources or competency of something. I'm not going to put my reliance in my abilities. Why? Because my abilities, my abilities couldn't save one soul even if it wanted to. It couldn't save my soul. How could it save anyone else next to me? It can't. It can't. 
So when we go back over there to the book of Philippians, as we progress further in into verse 4 here, <clears throat> he goes through this, and in verse 4 he says, Though I might have I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he uh, hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now, now again, Paul is speaking very foolishly here, okay? He's like, okay, so you guys want to play the whole who's better than who game. You know? Alright, we're going to start comparing our righteousness, which he's already talked about, you know, to the Corinthian church saying that it's unwise. Comparing yourselves among yourselves is not wise. First and foremost, don't ever compare your Christian life to another Christian's life. Okay? That is the most absurd thing. Want to know why? Because they're not you and you're not them. You're going to grow differently. You may grow slower. You may grow faster. You may take a totally different uh, 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 path of growth than anyone else did. I mean, Paul didn't take the same path of growth that the disciples did, did he? No. He had direct revelation. They got to spend three years with him. He had a bit of a different, because obviously Jesus Christ had already ascended at that point. And those that followed after him, Apollos, Timothy, Titus, all the rest of them, they didn't have the same type of growth. It was all different. You can't say that David grew the same way that Moses grew in the Lord. I mean, they, they all had different backgrounds. They all had different circumstances and events happen to them. Everything's different. You can't compare yourselves. Don't ever do that. Again, that's another tool of the devil. Don't ever do that. <clears throat> but here he is. He's saying, but if you want to play this game, <laughs> let's play the game. And he's playing, the, he, he's showing this to, to kind of prove a contrast. To prove a contrast. Showing the difference between what it means to have the mind of the flesh and the mind of Christ. So here he is, he's saying, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh uh, uh, that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He's, you know what he's basically saying? He's saying, I'm better than you. Paul's saying, I'm better than you. You want to, you, you want to play this? I'm better than you. Now he had already called himself the chiefest of sinners. We know that that's his mindset when it came to it. We know exactly how he views himself. That even though he thinks, you know, used to think of himself as much higher than anyone else, he's obviously not. He's he's at the bottom of the the rung. And he, I mean, how many of us have actively gone out there seeking to kill other Christians? Hopefully you haven't. <laughs> if not, we've got some, you know, little discussions maybe we need to have, but you know. But here he is, he's, he's talking about it and he says, look, you know, if, if we're going to boast about these, the, the works of the flesh, which is prohibited in Ephesians chapter two, he said, Paul, you know, he said, I, Paul, I'm going to exceed it. I'm going to exceed it. I mean, he grew up in a home where he had he had this individual uh Gamamiel, that came and he was his personal if you will tutor overseeing <coughs> excuse, overseeing everything about his development 
under, under the Pharisaicalism that was there in Israel. You want to talk about direct oversight. Direct oversight. Everything was sanctioned. Everything was sanctioned. And even the stuff that wasn't sanctioned, it still was, was, was okay. There's this, there's this uh, joke that I heard that, 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 that talks about, you know, kind of this mentality. And again, this is the mentality of Pharisaicalism, all right? Just kind of keep this in mind. This, uh, uh, this rabbi is, is, uh, walking down the street and he sees the, 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 the president of the synagogue, the guy that runs the synagogue, co- you know, committee. And he sees him and he starts trying to wave to him and the guy doesn't, doesn't see him. And, and it's during Passover and, and he sees the guy and he walks right into this Chinese restaurant that's not kosher. That's a no-no during Passover. He watches him go in there, and he 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 sits there, and he 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 watches him point to the stuff and order it through the window, and he's like, "What is this guy doing?" And there he is, and he orders his non-kosher, you know, pork fried rice, <laughs> and he starts eating it, and he's like, "What is going on here?" And he eats the whole thing, and the rabbi goes into the the, the Chinese restaurant and says to the man, he's like. You're the president of the, the, the synagogue. What are you doing? This is Passover. This is not kosher. You can't do this. And he said, let me ask you this question. He said, did you watch me enter into this restaurant? And he said, yes. He said, did you watch me eat this food? Yes, I did. So you watched me eat, eat, enter this restaurant, order this food, and eat this food you saw all of that. Yes, I saw all of it. So then what I did was under rabbinical supervision. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> and while it's kind of like, a, you know, a silly little joke, that's kind of how they approached everything. When it came to sin, they just kind of dismissed it in, you know, out of hand. Like, oh, that's not a big deal. Because they elevated themselves. And this is where he's saying, he's saying, I, 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 you want to start talking about trusting in the flesh? I can trust in the flesh a lot more than anyone else here can. I can trust in the flesh a lot more than anyone else. And you take a look there and what he says in this, in verse five, he starts going through. He starts talking about his pedigree. He starts talking about his accomplishments. He starts talking about uh, his achievements, the accolades, everything that he has. And he says, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I mean, that was a big thing. Eighth day was a big thing. Sometimes people couldn't do it quite on the eighth day, and they'd be, you know, travels or whatever was going on. And in their eyes, that made you a lesser Jew. It's like, really? Yep. And here he is, the stock of Israel. You know, he, he's, he's of good stock. He can go all the way back and trace it all the way back to Jacob. He's, he, he's, he's that good. He's got all of those things in order. When it comes to genealogies, he's like, I got it all. I can go back and I can show you everything that I'm doing, everything that I've got in order, everything. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And the end result is, is he's, he's, if you will, boasting about this. 
Notice what he says of the tribe of Benjamin. And here he is, what is he saying about this? He, 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 Benjamin was a loved tribe. If you go back over to the book of Judges and you find what Benjamin was about, you find that Benjamin was involved in some pretty horrific iniquity. And the end result of the horrific iniquity is they were down to 600 men in their tribe. They were almost completely wiped out. That's why they were the smallest tribe. That's why they, a lot of people took care of that tribe. But who was Benjamin? Benjamin was, was the son that, 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 uh, that uh, Jacob really truly loved. And he loved Joseph, but Joseph was disappeared. Joseph was gone. So he only had Benjamin to love. Because again, of who their mom was. So here he is saying, you know, I, I, I came from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the, and again, the, the tribe of Joseph became the two half tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh that had Egyptian mixed in it. So here he is, he's, I mean, he's the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is looked upon as one of the, the unique tribes because it is, it is from Rachel. And it was the one that, that Jacob loved and it was a truly loved tribe. He, it was, I mean, it was a status of elevation. Oh, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Judah was the, obviously the kingly tribe. The Levites were the priests. But here he is talking and he's boasting more about it saying he's the better of the tribes. Look at, you want to take a look at who I am? Look at where I came from. And here he is boasting about himself being an Israelite, and as he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Here he is, he's now boasting upon, you know, if you will, the pride of his heritage and where he came from, the fact that he is part of this promise. The nation of Israel just elevated themselves in those promises. They viewed those promises as more precious than the God that gave it to them. That was the problem. <clears throat> to them, it put them in a status of, if you will, I'm better than everyone else. I'm better than everyone else. And here he is with all this pride in, this, in, in, his, in his heritage, all of these things. And as we go down here a little bit further, he says it's touching the law, a Pharisee. You know what the Pharisees were? The Pharisees were lawyers. The Pharisees knew about the law. They knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly how to do it. They knew all about the traditions. They knew all about uh, uh, how to do certain things on certain ways and certain days. Everything. They were they're just those kind of people. They were the ones that, that, that you, if you, when it came to to the law, you wanted to know a Pharisee because you went to them. They were supposed to be teachers. Go over to the book of, uh, keep, keep your place there just to kind of point this out. Go again back over to John chapter three. <clears throat> John chapter three. <clears throat> In John chapter three, uh, as uh, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, and in verse one it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, now take a look at what he, what Jesus Christ says to him in verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? 
In the course of the conversation, he points it out, and he's saying, you should know this, Nicodemus. So this is what these individuals did. This was how they behaved. This is what it came to the law. Man, they, they were the ones that you went to. You wanted to find out exactly what the law was talking about? You went to these guys. This is why they were following around. This is why these were the ones that were going around accusing. They had made it their lifelong, uh, if you will, uh, a purpose to study the law. To memorize the law. So that they could lord it over everyone else. And here he is, he's saying, look, this is who I was. You want to know anything about the law? I'll tell you anything you want to know about the law. And as he goes down a little bit further, he's like, concerning zeal. You know, there's a lot of people that want to see, you know, Christians get zealous about something. Being zealous is good. But you got to be zealous for the right reason. Because if you're not zealous for the right reason... Then you're gonna, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna mess up. Again, you know, to kind of point it out, David was really zealous about getting the Ark of the Covenant back to Shiloh, just not the way that God wanted it. And it created a problem. You know, there's other people that were zealous to do things certain ways and they just, they, they didn't do it the right way. And they failed. And here he is, he's saying concerning zeal, you want to know, talk about zeal? What was it, what did he do? Persecuting the church. When it comes to, to, to Israel, the, the Israel views Christianity as a threat. They view it as a threat. Why? Because it goes against what they think they're about. That's the problem. So here he is. He's saying, you want to talk about zeal? He's like, I persecuted the church. I hunted people down. I hunted people down. I had them killed. I had them tortured. I had them put in prison. I, I separated families. I, I, you know, he, 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 he did all of this. I mean, he got these letters and he went ahead and he became that Pharisee that would go through and he would find these people for the purpose of eliminating them. Eliminating them. This was his desire. This is what he wanted. So he had he had lots of good zeal, right? And he says, "Is touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless?" And this just to kind of cap it all off. He says, "You know, so if you want to come around accusing me of where I haven't kept the law, you'll never find any of it." He said, "I will show you that I have kept every single law in every single way." From a fleshly perspective. Now again, we're talking about boasting in the flesh here. All of what he's talking about here, there's nothing spiritual. This is all fleshly oriented. Did you, I mean, if you've noticed this, there's nothing in here that talks about the Spirit of God moving in it. There's nothing in here that talks about the Holy Spirit uh, 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 um, you know, showing him or convincing him or convicting him or anything. There's none of that in here. It's all about me. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. He's like, look at everything that I can do. Look at how good I am. 
I want you to think about this for a second, and I want you to go back over to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 2. And the reason that he's using this to show this, the reason he's using all of these things that he, quote-unquote, has accomplished in his life, is, is, is for this end. Let's take a look at it compared to Christ now. Here he is, again, confidence in his circumcision, confidence in his, his heritage, confidence in his, his, his tribal uh, um, background, confidence in his ethnicity, confidence in his knowledge of the law, confidence in his zeal, confidence in his own righteousness. Now let's take a look at the mind of Christ. Back over there in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient. Unto death, even the death of the cross. Man, Pharisees weren't willing to offer themselves up for anything. They they, they were all about their reputation. They, they, they They weren't the servants. They were the ones that were supposed to be viewed in reverence. They had servants work for them. They weren't servants. And they certainly weren't humble. I mean, the Pharisee that was uh, sitting there saying, I thank God that I'm not like this uh, sinner, this publican over here. Filled with pride, filled about uh, their pride in their position and their country, their pride about who they were. I mean, they were more concerned about that than they were concerned about somebody getting healed. So what we find here is we find that this is contrary to the mind of Christ. Paul's pointing this out because this is what happens, is we get so wrapped up into the mind of the flesh. We get so so caught up into the mind of the flesh. And it's that battle. We want to bring glory to ourselves. We want, we, we, we want to elevate ourselves. We want us... Want people to look look at us and say, "Man, that, that that's look at that. That's a person to be. That's a person that is to be, you know, honored and respected, regardless of all of that." Christ just still did what he was supposed to do in a very humble and obedient manner. He wasn't seeking the reputation because he knew that first and foremost. He had to be a servant in the form of a savior before he had any reputation of being a king. But you know what people want? People want the reputation more than they're willing to serve. So what do we find here? We find, we find that Paul's sitting there saying, well, if we want to start going through and, and tracking all these things down, yeah, okay, I, 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 I can definitely make myself look better than everyone else, right? I can make myself look so good. 
But but here's here's what he gets down to in, in verse seven, back over there in chapter three. <coughs> he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So all these things that he had accomplished, what did it bring Jesus Christ? Not a thing. Not a thing. You know what it actually did it, 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 to, to boast of some of, of ourself is a loss for God to rob Him. You know, <clears throat> here's the issue: we often don't realize how much of a thief we can really truly be. I mean, we steal God's stuff all the time. We steal His glory. We steal His honor. We steal His power. Uh, we steal uh, His His blessings. We t- we take promises without acknowledging Him as the promise one the giver. What 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 else happens? Uh, we, we go through and we, we, we rob God of, of vengeance. Vengeance is His. But all of a sudden, man alive, we want vengeance, right? We think that we can bring vengeance and justice better than God can. No, we can't. No, we can't. You want to know when real justice is going to be here in, in, in this world? When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Till then, we have a very, very difficult problem to deal with, and that's called humans. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's gonna be the issue. That's, that's the problem. And, and here's where he's getting down to. It's a loss for Christ. You know what? It's a loss. Something, something's, when we lose something, something's taken away. You know, when, when you, you have insurance and you're dealing with insurance and, and people are probably fairly familiar with insurance loss right now because of all of the tree damage and everything that's out there. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they try to return you to a pre-loss state. They try to get you back to where you were before the loss occurred. So when you lose your car through theft, they are trying to get you back to that point. So we have insurance for that purpose. And, and, and I say all that to say this, is that many times when all these things that we boast about in our own flesh and we lift up our own flesh and we glorify in our own flesh and we have confidence in our own flesh, we are actually robbing God and it's a loss for Him. We're stealing. We're thieves. We're guilty. Now that should never be. And this is why Paul's writing these things. And here he is saying, look, all of this stuff, all this stuff that I could boast about, you know what? It's a loss for him. I thought it was good for me. But take a look at how he phrases it in the next verse, in verse 8. He says, while I thought it was good, you know all what it was? Dung. Dung. Excrement. I collected it. Yay. 
Look at my collection of... (laughs) That's exactly what he's comparing it to. In verse 8 he says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of... Uh, Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and do count them but dung, <clears throat> that I may win Christ. This is kind of how we have to view things. We have to view things in a very, very stark contrast of flesh and spirit. What's better, right? What's better? <clears throat> And look, I'm not trying to be disgusting here, but but Paul brought it up. (laughs) Which would you rather have? A plastic bag full of dung or the riches of Christ? And when we begin to realize that the riches of Christ means that we have the mind of Christ... And that we're humble and we're obedient and we're, we're, we've got the servant mentality and it's not all about our reputation. That's about his glory, his honor, his praise. And, and that's what we want. But yet we tote around this, you know, this little Walmart bag full of dog stuff and we're all happy with it. And that's our flesh. That's what we get. And he says, it's a loss. It's a loss. In verse 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want you to see this, what he's talking about here. He says, this is what's important. You know, I, I, I read that verse and I gotta ask the question of, to myself and, and it's something we should often ask ourselves. What is so important that we would sacrifice for? What would we give up? What would we give up if we would just be able to know more about Jesus Christ? I mean, here he is, he's talking about this knowledge, and he says excellency. It excels. When something excels, it means it's better than everything else. I mean, it, it, it's top of the line. When you've got something that's excellent, you, you, you want it that way. You know, you start going through grading conditions of certain things and, and they've got all these things that, that, that they grade them about good and fine and excellent and so on and so forth. You want the stuff that's the, the best, the excellent condition. You want stuff that's like mint, they say. You want stuff that is just is in a perfect condition. It doesn't ever look like it's ever been used or anything in any way, shape, or form. Like it's brand new, straight out of the box. Still has the plastic wrap on it. Do we view the knowledge of Christ at that level? Or do we view what we get in our physical life at that level? And he says, yea, doubtless. Meaning that he, he, he you're not going to argue with him on this. Without a shadow of a doubt, he is 100% convinced that everything that he has ever done 
he needs to sacrifice on the altar for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. The knowledge of him. I want you to notice what is being, what is being sacrificed and what is being obtained. What is being given up and what is considered a gain for him. And that gain for him is the knowledge of his savior. I mean, when we start talking about that, we're starting to talk about that real relationship. We're talking about that relationship, the one that God wants us to know. Do we know more about something of the flesh today? Or do we know more about Jesus Christ? Have we learned something about him today? Have we put that at the top of what we're going to do? And we're going to sacrifice those things that we think are good for us, but are actually not. And are we going to seek him? Therein comes the greatest mindset that we as Christians need to have. I want to know more about him. That's a totally different line of thinking, isn't it? We, we, we live in a world where it's like, well, 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 I need to know myself. People go out and they take these self-exploration journeys. Oh man, alive. When I was in some of the management classes, I had some weird stuff going on and, and, uh, I was trying to deal with some depression and all sorts of other things. And, and I wound up taking some of these classes and they were always talking about trying to find yourself. And I'm like, I know where I am. That's the problem. <laughs> I know where I am. I'm at the bottom. <laughs> I don't need to find myself. I've already found myself sucking scum. (laughs) I need to get a little bit up there. How do I get there? And I took a look at all of it, and they were all talking about you need to have this self-realization journey and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what my self-realization journey is? I've taken a long look at myself, and I know exactly who I am. And I know exactly what I'm capable, or at least I should say, I think I know exactly what I'm capable of. And that's what scares me. And that's why I need Jesus Christ. That's why I need Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's the journey that Paul was on. And guess what he found? He found the need for a savior. And he found the need for the relationship with his Lord. That's the mindset. The knowledge of him. And we'll take a look more of this, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just study your word. I thank you so much for those that are here this evening. I pray, Lord, that you just take us all home safely. Bring us back safely for the Friday night fellowship. And also, Lord, for our Sunday services. It's Resurrection Sunday. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be prepared and ready to receive what you have for us with that thought and with that mindset, Lord, about what you've done for us. And these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.